Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode six of DN Discussions, the podcast for players and DMs alike, where we cover a wide variety of topics to help you with your games. I'm your host, Ryan Reeder, and with me, as always, is my co-partner, my co-DM, Ben Bonhoeffer. How are you doing, Ben? I'm doing okay, and I'm a little disappointed that I constantly fail my stealth check when we start the show. You always seem to know I'm here. It's true. You need... Uh, better hiding skills <laughs> maybe you need maybe you should take a few levels of rogue maybe i mean i'm rolling a disadvantage anyway by being like in front of a camera so it's probably the, the issue this just in cameras are heavy armor <laughs> how are you doing tonight dude i'm doing all right uh coming off of a high from playing last night and uh you know just still kind of mellowing out with the whole idea of uh what happened and and uh, looking forward to, to talk about some uh, really interesting bits of uh, information tonight. Uh, yeah. How are you on your end? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. I picked up miniature painting. Oh, man. Over, over last weekend. So that was fun. I actually, uh, we have a really cool tabletop and hobby store here um, about 30 minutes away from where I live. And so they were offering intro to painting classes, like painting 101. So I went and took the class. It was super awesome. It was only like 15 bucks. They provided the paint and the model and everything nice. but the brushes. So brought some brushes. Me and me and a buddy went. It was like three hours long. The instructor was super cool, super helpful. Uh, ended up with a fully painted model that actually looked halfway decent. <laughs> um, and then I went and made a big Amazon order for painting stuff because I was hooked. Because that's how that happens, actually. That's just how it works. <laughs> and so I actually just painted one of my uh, one of my 3D models that I that I print, and maybe maybe I'll talk about that in a, a section sometime. The the art of 3D printing D and D because there's lots of uh, really really cool things you can do for D and D if you have a 3D printer. Exactly. Um, I, I'm in the art of going to the hobby store and buying figures. It's, you know, a little bit more expensive. Totally, yeah, it's totally legit. Yep. They, do, <laughs> they do look a little better, no question, because um, 3D printing is, is its, own, its own bear unless, unless you do resin, which is, looks better. Uh, well, we won't go into all the details of that tonight, but it is, it is super legit, and it's once you get the the main cost of the printer out of the way, it's actually a really cheap way to get models. Oh yeah. And there's that, a lot of cool community people that make them. And not only just figures and stuff, but also like, you know, buildings and you know, like dungeon tiles and stuff like that. So yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that later. Yeah. And I'm currently in the midst of printing out uh, dungeon terrain right now, actually, nice. as we speak. Wow. It's amazing how just the world creates things. It's like you have your own little replicator. I know it's super awesome. Uh, we're not going to talk super in depth about that today, but what we are going to talk super in depth about in our uh, first DM discussion of the evening is status effects. And status effects are one of those they're kind of omnipresent things in your game, but a lot of people don't take the time to look at them directly or know exactly what they do kind of in their fullness, mm -hmm. I guess. Um, and so the, the idea is we're just going to kind of go through the basic uh, fifth edition status effects and kind of what they do and then kind of scenarios 
where you would have them potentially uh, DM rulings depending on certain situations. Because again, like a lot of things in Dungeons and Dragons, it's it's up to the DM a lot of times to have the final say in what a specific effect does or how a certain situation affects something. Exactly. And it's so funny because, okay, so, you know, when I was younger playing like say final fantasy games or Pokemon games or something, you know, why would you ever use a status effect? You know, who cares? You know, always go completely for the, okay, do as much damage as possible because you know what? who cares about charming something if you could just kill it? Who cares about like petrifying something if you could just kill it, you know? And back when I was playing fourth edition, status effects weren't really on my mind at all. You know, it was just basically see what happens. Like, Oh, it does a status effect. Ah, whatever. It's, it, it, it's fine. It doesn't matter. Um, and then, you know, when we, when I started DMing fifth edition and, you know, kind of really paying attention to, you know, creature spells or player spells and everything like that, uh, well, even more so than just spells, just, you know, different abilities. It, it, it turns out that those status effects could completely make or break something uh, that, you've, that you've planned or, you know, completely change how you need to, you know, go about how you plan for the future, too. Uh, I think I mentioned in one of the previous episodes how we have a bard in the group that I DM, and she's very good about using her bardic abilities in, in like charming. Like she's thrown out a charm in almost every sort of round of combat, just trying to, you know, turn the tide almost instantly. And because of that, it's like, Oh man, this is, you know, turning this deadly encounter into like a cakewalk for everybody else. Because all of a sudden, yeah, there's less that they need to really worry about and everything. And as a DM too, you have to remember that you can use those to your advantage mm-hmm. to help even the odds if you're, because we, we talked about action economy a few episodes ago. And so if you are in an encounter where you're pitting a lesser number of monsters against the players, monsters can also use status conditions, charm effects, that type of stuff to their advantage too, to even the odds for them, especially if you're running a more intelligent encounter. Exactly. Exactly. So, uh, I mean, of the, the status effects, I mean, do we just want to just kind of run down the whole thing or like toss out our, our favorites first? Yeah, we can, we can just kind of run down the, uh, the old list and we'll talk a little bit uh, about each and kind of give uh, opinions, thoughts, uh, potential scenarios you could use. Mm-hmm. So the first one is Blinded. And blinded like you would expect would <laughs> you, you pretty much fail anything based on sight. You're blinded. Um, the one thing that uh, some people do forget is that when you are blinded, attack rolls against the person who's blinded have advantage. And of course, what, what seems natural, the person who's blinded's attack rolls have disadvantage. And so that's, this is one of the things uh, from 5th edition, and you'll see it in a lot of the different status effects, is very few effects that happen to you cause you to just like auto-miss things yeah, exactly. from an attack perspective. Um, they just give you disadvantage to be where, okay, I could... I, I might be blinded, but I might be relying on my other senses, like my hearing or my smell or whatever, or just 
firing things randomly and someone gets hit. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, you know, th- this plays into a lot of different things where, you know, maybe someone blew out the, 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 the torchlight and it's just incredibly dark and no one can see anything. Everybody's blinded unless they have dark vision, of course. And that completely ruins and changes everything when that's a plan. But the uh, funny thing is when you have a mixed party, with yep. half dark vision, half not. And it's just like, everyone's walking around is, oh yeah, uh, Mr. Human Cleric, you can't see a thing. So you got to pull out the torch and expose everyone else to this light, or you got to be holding on to somebody's shoulder and walking along this dark cave. Exactly. Um, blindness also plays into things like magical darkness, which I absolutely love. Because, you know, if, especially if you're playing a drow and they just drop a, a globe of, of magical darkness, it's all of a sudden, oh, anyone in there can't see. Anyone who's looking into it can't see what's in there. And it, it adds a little bit more defense. I mean, that's one of the reasons why the drow do that is, you know, it's like, oh, crap, globe of darkness around me. I'm good. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great DM tool mm-hmm. uh, for certain encounters. Um, next, we have Charmed. As you so eloquently put it, it is, this is charm is one of my favorite effects because it's a great combat and non-combat encounter tool. Mm-hmm. Um, you can use it in combat to shift the tide of battle, bring someone to your side, or potentially cause an enemy to stop attacking you who normally would because uh, charm targets won't attack the charmer mm-hmm. like they they just won't they're they're their best of buds yeah they're friends said, it's the charmer not the charmer's party which can make things really interesting too i mean how great is it when all of a sudden the bar's like hey charmed him this is awesome and then that person just turns and starts fighting someone else i'll protect you exactly <laughs> Yeah. Oh, my mistake. I didn't realize that, uh, that we were friends, but them, they're not my friends. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, but I- you do have advantage to persuasion checks against someone you've charmed. So mm-hmm. this can, that can actually provide really interesting things. Uh, player DM stuff as well. Uh, someone might use the, the charmer might use their action to try and persuade the person they charmed not to attack the party. Exactly. And that's one of those fun things that where you can play with expectations uh, or just, you know, straight up. Oh, you're my, you're my buddy. Let's do this. You know, uh, let me invite you into my home. Oh, you need to know what's in the safe. Here you go. You know, you're my friend. I've known you for years. And the most, the most interesting thing about most charm spells too, is that and there's a few exceptions to this, but uh, the one thing a lot of people sometimes forget is that most charm spells, the person who is charmed knows they were magically charmed mm-hmm. after the charm effect wears off. So there's a lot of really good interplay with that too. The party might go and, and charm this shopkeeper, right? Give them a discount. Shopkeeper, oh yeah, old friends, sure, I'll give you a discount. <laughs> wears off an hour later, all of a sudden the party's eating dinner at an inn and guards rush in and be like, you just illegally charmed someone against their will mm-hmm. with magic. You are all under arrest. Exactly. And 
I mean, there, there's a lot of different possibilities, you know, in combat, out of combat, and even more so, if you get charmed, that can be a lot of fun at that point. Because, you know, as a DM, you can kind of, you know, you know, subtly control or push a, a character to do something, you know, like if they're going up, uh, you know, trying to infiltrate or meet the big bad, all of a sudden, they're just, oh, well... I, I kind of see what he's talking about. You know, we should destroy the world. Okay, cool. Uh, hey, Joey, why are you attacking him? You know, and you're kind of useless in combat at that point if you're, you know, still friends with your friends and stuff, unless the big bad evil guy, you know, really charms you. And I mean, th- there's a lot of different fun things you can do. Yeah, totally. Um, next on our list is Deafened. And this what? one's pretty self <laughs> Exactly. This one's pretty self-explanatory. You can't hear and you automatically fail anything that requires hearing. There's no disadvantage to this one. This one's just a straight, you can't hear. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are, there are definitely, I, this is one of the, this is one of the ones you don't see as often, I think. Yeah, and I mean, the thing is, is you can actually add this into certain things if you want to. Like, let's say you're standing next to your buddy who does a thunder wave. You know, there's a really loud noise in there. You can, you know, throw in, okay, you're deafened for a few, uh, you know, rounds or something while your ears are ringing or, you know, something along those lines. But yeah, it's an effect that doesn't really happen a whole lot. But um, if there's something where, I don't know, you're, you're trying to do stealth and there's a guard over there, maybe cast deafen on him and just walk right past. Maybe he doesn't hear you might work. Yeah. There's uh, one thing I really like to do with some of these effects and you can do this, not with just deafness, but with other stuff too, is turn them from status effects into um, dungeon gimmicks. Mm-hmm. So you may, uh, I may have a room the party walks into and deafness is a, result of being in the room you walk into the room all of a sudden no sound there's no sound anywhere no one can hear anything and you can do all sorts of really interesting stuff uh from that like sneak attacks or you can have puzzles uh one i know and it's it's kind of hard to play out you you really got to get buy-in from your people and this is this is a big theater of the mind thing there was one uh dungeon that I created where there is a room where you were deafened while you were in it, but these large boulders were falling down, striking the floor and the floor was kind of balanced. And so the party had to figure out how to shift it to, to get these four huge balls that, that dropped down um, to go into these separate holes that were, they were in the room, but the, the problem is they could not hear them. And so there was a lot of, uh, really interesting, um, and I said, it's, it's a very hard scenario for theater of the mind, but uh, my group ended up doing really well. And there was a lot of really cool scenarios and, um, something called skill checks mm-hmm. that I ran and I'll, 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 talk a little bit about skill checks and skill challenges after we, we get done with, uh, with this stuff, but yeah, you can turn these things in. They're more than just status effects. You can actually use them in other ways as well. Exactly. Something that, uh, 
you know, you seem like near the end you were getting a little exhausted in your description there. And I'm just trying to segue, and that's just horrible. <sighs> but <laughs> I'm going anyway. Um, exhaustion is one that a lot of people I find are uh, like kind of confused on uh, on how that works out. Now, the idea it doesn't about, happen often. Yeah, I mean, you know, you go into something and it's like, okay, well, I got a long rest before I go into the dungeon, or or, or this or that. And a lot of people just really associate it with just, oh, well, I didn't sleep the night before. That doesn't exactly you know, totally fit with everything. You know, what if you're running from something and you're running for a very long time, you can get a level or two of exhaustion from that. Um, Something along the lines of, you know, the environment, like, okay, so I live in Phoenix. It's really hot outside. You go outside for like 20, 30 minutes, you're exhausted by the end, you know, by the time you get back inside. Yeah. And very hot. You can use exhaustion in so many different ways. Like maybe, um, your, I don't know, your warlock had his, his patron just, you know, just pick at him all night long while he was trying to sleep and just kept waking up or uh, potentially, you know, you're trying to go through and read a book all night or something. You know, th- there's, there's a lot of different ways that'll stop you from sleeping, but, you know, having those extra added bits of exhaustion and everything really add up as well because, this is the first status effect that we were talking about where there's actually levels to it. So, you know, just, just straight up, you know, Oh, I didn't sleep last night at all. Um, all of a sudden on all of our ability checks, you have disadvantage. And then after that, it starts getting a little worse. Uh, then gets even worse and then even worse. And by the time you're at six points of exhaustion, you're, you're just dead. Yeah. That's <laughs> a bummer. I, and I've, I've never seen that before in any of the campaigns I'm in, but exhaustion in most of the games I've played in really hasn't come that much into effect beyond the first or potentially the second level. Mm -hmm. Um, Just because there are so many opportunities for long resting and long resting actually cures a level of exhaustion. Mm -hmm. So even if you got exhaustion uh, the night before, like, because you traveled a really long way or whatever, it's fixed the next morning after, after a long rest. Uh, so you can, you can play around with exhaustion a little bit and it, you've got the, all the mechanics to it. And so sometimes you can, just like the deafening thing, add it to other stuff to make it more interesting or make it uh, appear more often. Say a magic item that lets you do this incredible burst of power but when you do take a level of exhaustion mm-hmm. and so there's there's consequences to that you might be able to use it like up to 3 times that's three levels of exhaustion potentially all all at once and that's three long rest days now that you have to recover completely from that exhaustion but it's it's cool because i like i like doing stuff like that because it's a it's a big um risk reward type mm-hmm. thing you get the player agency uh to, to go, okay, I want to do my big burst of power or this is a really important fight. I'm going to go all out. But then they deal with the consequences after. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you are a uh, like a, a pure rage warrior or barbarian, when I'm thinking World of Warcraft, don't mind me. Um, if you're a pure like rage barbarian, this is something that you actually have to consider a lot of the times. You know, when you bust into a frenzy, frenzied rage, uh, when you're out of that, 
you get a point of exhaustion. And I, I think at a certain level it, that, that doesn't happen anymore, but the lower levels it does, I, I don't remember exactly. I didn't get one super high, but you know, it's something that you need to kind of pay attention to and everything. And even more so as a DM, like we said, find different ways where you can kind of, you know, play with this, put it in. Um, I know that there are some random spells that, uh, you know, can aid you really fast. Add a level of exhaustion in there as well, because guess what? You know, now they're like 80. They're not, they're not adventuring all that well. There's a lot moving, you know, I'm not saying totally just, you know, (laughs) age them to 80, but you might have an older (laughs) already. And then, you know, boop, you know, hit them with a few years and something might happen. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Um, you know, that frightens me a little bit. Really? Yeah, that's that was a worse segue than yours. <laughs> <laughs> because that's the next condition that we're talking about is the frightened condition. Uh, and this one is actually fairly common mm-hmm. among a lot of status effects and a lot of enemy abilities. Basically, when you're frightened, you have, and this is one thing I always forget. A frightened creature has disadvantage on ability checks and attack rolls while the source of its fear is within line of sight. Mm-hmm. I forget that all the time, but it's, it's, it's a really big deal. Um, the, the one I remember is the, the frightened creature can't willingly move towards the source of the fear. That's, that's easy. I sometimes remember, yeah, you have disadvantage on attack rolls. Uh, normally my thinking is, oh, I have disadvantage on attack rolls against this creature who's, who's frightening me, but no, it's actually disadvantage on attack rolls and ability checks while you can see the thing that is fearing you. So frightened is actually a really big deal. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, the, the whole idea of, uh, I mean, there are certain spells that will, you know, cause you to be frightened. Some have more, I guess, frightening, uh, things stacked on top of it. The actual condition itself doesn't have you like run like forcibly run away, but some abilities, some spells, some things like that actually do act, uh, push you and you have to run as far as you possibly can for your turn or something like that. Just being frightened though. Yeah. Like you said, it, it's really something that, that has to do with um, just the, the, the ability checks and everything. Yeah, exactly. Um, next we have the grappled condition and this one i always get mixed up with restrained but grappled and restrained are two completely different things grappled being the lesser version of restrained when you're grappled the the only thing with being grappled is basically your speed becomes zero exactly that's it you always think it's something more than that, but it's basically, Hey Ryan, why are you running away from me? I'm grabbing onto your hand and stopping you from moving. That's yeah. all. That's, that's all. That's all it is. Whereas on the other hand, restrained is the more, uh, the, the greater version of that basically in that your speed becomes zero and attack rolls against you have advantage and your attack rolls have disadvantage and then you also get disadvantage on deck saving throws. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's weird because it doesn't quite from a, from a rules perspective, it doesn't quite act like you would think, right? It, like when I think of being restrained or grappled, I think I can't move at all, but 
from a rules perspective, even if you're grappled or restrained, you can still make actions. You can still make attacks. Exactly. And it's one of those fun things where, okay, are they like, basically, you know, look at it as, are they interacting with a, you know, a living thing or, or, you know, some mechanical thing that's, you know, moving and animated and something like that versus is it something that is just holding them just in place? Like um, think, you know, wrestler versus are they chained to a pillar for a sacrifice or something, you know? It, it's like, yeah, you, if you're chained to a pillar, you can still kind of move a little bit to try to get away from something if someone's you know, trying to poke you with a sword. But at the same time, you're not going to have a whole range of motion. Whereas if a wrestler's got you, you've got a better chance of moving around and positioning and everything like that. You're still able to uh, you know, swing, try to punch kick, which is illegal in wrestling, so don't do that. But you know, it's, it's the idea of, of more freedom of movement, which... I mean, I'm really glad that they actually have it split up into two different things because it gives very specific rules on them and it it kind of lets you dictate how, I don't know, I guess, you know, incapacitated the, the, the person is in some way. And speaking of incapacitation, that's basically the end level <laughs> of this <laughs> grapple restrained uh, trifecta. Uh, incapacitated is what I think more, what I think more of when someone says restrained, to be completely honest, because when you're incapacitated, you cannot take actions or reactions. Exactly. And I actually, I actually looked this up because the rules don't specifically say bonus actions. So I was like, can you use a bonus action too? But if you, uh, I went and checked, um, there's the, a site called Sage Advice where Jeremy Crawford, one of the 5e rules creator, goes and clarifies different rules. Um, And one of his clarifications for incapacitation was uh, bonus actions can only be performed if you can perform an action. And so in this case, since you're incapacitated, since you can't perform an action, you can't perform a bonus action either. And so you're literally just there taking up space. Yeah, exactly. And and a lot is, and it's, it's one of those, rule of cool type things versus um, rules as written. Uh, there's, there's certain times in certain scenarios where as a, as a DM, I will actually rule that restrained does equal incapacitated mm-hmm. because of the situation I am inside uh, or I am being held like by a giant ape in both of its hands you cannot move. You cannot go anywhere. Uh, maybe, maybe your arms are on the outside, uh, but not much you can do. <laughs> can't fire your bow, or it's it's just it's one of those. Yeah, you, you have to be careful. It's it's just the realism versus versus rules, right? There's there's certain times that you'll want to go. Okay, this rule just doesn't make sense for this particular scenario, so I'm going to rule this way. Or, yeah, that makes sense. You can still you can still use your tax. That's no biggie. Yeah, exactly. And you know, a lot of it uh, comes down to you know whatever ability caused this, or spell caused it, or something. Or you know, if you're just free flowing, you know, DMing and stuff, it it, it comes down to what it says specifically is that uh, status effect between the three of them, 
and you know that can kind of help you go off of it and but again you're the dm you can kind of you know alter choose uh make things work however you think it really should so that's the way to do yeah, it exactly uh next on the list we have invisibility and this is this is a really uh interesting one because a lot of a, a lot of people i know treat invisibility as a all right no more cell checks i'm invisible <laughs> I'm I'm good to go anywhere, do anything. Technically not true. Uh, you still make noise while you're invisible. Uh, people cannot see you, but they can hear you still. Uh, <laughs> so there's there's been definitely been a few situations uh, in my in my experience where someone's like, I go invisible, and I'm just gonna walk through this cue this the, rock by the guards. When it's like, okay, roll a stealth check. And they're like, why? I'm invisible. It's just like, you don't have any boots that muffle your footsteps. So <laughs> you're going to still have to have to be careful. And even though they can't see you, they might hear something. Yeah. And I mean, you don't have to do just a normal, you know, uh, basically check for that. Just have them roll. And, you know, you know what the difficulty is. You know, if you're invisible, a normal, like, you know, 20 difficulty might drop down to, 10 or five, you know, but the point is they can still botch it. You know, what if they're, you know, walking along just silently humming to themselves, but they're invisible. Guess what? You're making some noise. There's, yeah. there's, there's an issue going. What are you, what if you're walking through snow? You're going to leave like very, yeah. very like well-seen footprints going along. You know, it, it, just because you're invisible doesn't mean that, uh, you know, you're completely obscured from reality at this point. Mm-hmm. And one of the, one of the really interesting things too, and this is just kind of the rules in general is that invisibility doesn't mean that you can't be hit mm-hmm. or invisibility. Invisibility doesn't mean you can't hit somebody who's invisible because technically with the invisibility condition, you get advantage on your attacks because you're invisible. They can't see you. They don't know exactly where you're at. Mm-hmm. And they get disadvantage on their attacks against you. That's not insta-miss. That's, it's harder. And so it, I, I always find, I've found that's, that's kind of really interesting too, how none of the rules are you just, you're, you're, it sucks to be you. They're invisible. Can't do anything. It's more a, all right, I'm going to use my other senses. Mm-hmm. to try and find where they are. Yes, I'm at a disadvantage, but I still could potentially hit them or it's the shot in the dark and it, and it hits and it reveals their location and now they're bleeding and you see the small pool of blood trickling down and building up around their feet, which are invisible. Yeah, that being said, I still have a little bit, or when I run it anyway, a little bit of an element of they have to have an, a general idea like, you know, if I'm standing there with a bow and arrow, I, I make them tell me, okay, about what area are you shooting at? And then have them roll with disadvantage. Because, you know, you don't want to have someone go invisible and then run across the room and they're like, say, out the door already and just say, I'm going to fire. And then still have them randomly hit something. It's like, mm, play, you know, play a little bit with this. And uh, yeah, you, know, you got to have that play in there that yeah. to make it. Because you, you want it to make sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, if, like we're, we're trying to emulate a world. Yeah, like if you know where a, you know, your invisible person is, which you really should know where they are, 
Uh, and I know sometimes that can get really tricky without like, you know, tipping off to everybody else. Like, you know, assuming you're using a map and everything, theory of the mind, super easy to be like, oh no, they're nowhere close to that. But if you know where they are and someone who has melee said, hey, I'm going to just swing my sword and hope I hit something. If they're within five feet, that, that's just a straight disadvantage roll in my opinion. You know, if they are, you know, a few feet away and they don't move, then I know that they're going to miss. But again, yeah. that's just how I run it. And I mean, if it's an invisible dragon or something, it's going to be a lot larger than just one space. So there's a, a much better chance of them actually hitting them. Who knows? Yeah, no, totally true. And so that's really kind of up to you and how how you want to run it. Exactly. Um, next, one of my all-time most hated conditions <laughs> paralysis yeah paralysis is the whelp it's going to be another 20 minutes till my turn effect mm-hmm. you get paralyzed you roll your saving throw oh i didn't get it crap well that's my turn and now i'm going to wait another 10 or 15 minutes for my turn to come back around and hope that this one minute long thing that I get lucky enough to roll the saving throw I need to get out of it. Uh, process, process can suck. It's, it's incredibly strong. You can't move. You're incapacitated. You can't speak. You fail. Strength and deck saving throws automatically. Attack rolls against you have an advantage. Mm-hmm. Attack rolls are attacks that are made within melee range of you are auto crits. Like it's a bad bad deal yeah uh, and there's not a lot you can do about it no and well that's something that we haven't talked about yet but i figure we'll you know kind of talk more about it once we finish the whole thing but the idea of saving at the end of your turn you know th- there are ways of, to get out of these but you know sometimes it takes a, a really good uh, really lucky dice roll in order to do that but no you're right uh paralyzation is something that you fear that you do not want to happen because especially if you're fighting some melee, you know, uh, mobs of some sort, like you don't want to be in the middle of a group of orcs when, you know, a, a, a shamanistic orc way over there on the side cast paralyze on you. That could just mean your death right there. Not fun. However, as a DM, it can be a whole lot of fun. You know, put your, put your players in some danger now and then. This is the right one to scare them. I mean, it's going to do a lot more than a frightened condition would. Oh, yeah, totally. Um, One thing, one, and this is, and I wanted to kind of bring this up because it can sometimes be an interesting addition, especially if you have a large party. I'm talking like probably four plus people Mm -hmm. because like when you only have two or three people, a turn deny effect probably not a huge deal because it's going to get back to the person you're in a five six seven person party all of a sudden a missed turn is everything yeah that's that's absolutely everything because that person may not play again for 30 minutes Mm -hmm. it's it sucks so one one cool uh homebrew rule that i've kind of um that i've found and kind of tweaked is the turn denying effect rule. So when a player suffers a turn denying effect for like, like paralysis, the player will have a choice on their turn to use their reaction to break the effect. However, doing this will take great mental strain to fight off whatever the effect is, and the player character will suffer a DM-determined amount of psychic damage based upon the strength of the effect. 
that's a that's example like a level one hold person versus like a level three hold person or you know just different different level spells and you can kind of come up with uh your own little okay so this was a level one spell um so you can choose to stay paralyzed or you can choose to break it but in doing so you're going to use your reaction and you're going to take x amount of damage now, do you do that like at the end of the round so that they have their chance to actually do it or do you do it top of the round so that they can do that and then have their next action? I usually, I usually do it to where the, the person can choose at the start of the round. Gotcha. And like I said, I only use this rule usually when I'm running larger parties mm-hmm. because the turn, turn denial isn't near as bad when it will get around back to you in exactly in a few minutes. But when it's, it's more just, it's not fun for a player to sit there, roll something, botch the roll, and then have to wait 20 or 30 minutes again for their turn. That's, that is just not fun. I've been there. And so in those types of situations, I think it's cool to at least have an option where they'll still suffer negative consequences from the effect because it was it's a legitimate effect yeah but it will allow them to then continue on with their turn so one more question on that do you uh have mobs go by the same rule as well uh i do not okay i do not it's it's less complicated if you if you don't have the monsters it's more just a here's an extra it's a player agent again player agency it's just an extra player agency thing uh in certain situations no i like that i it's it's something i'm going to look at uh you know next time i dm a a larger group because we've got five in my group and so far we haven't come across too many parallelization uh spots but i mean it it's similar to the, you know, if you're like in a round of combat and, you know, you're a character who you really, really can only do an action, which is like attack once. There's no real good bonus actions that you can do and you miss and you've got no movement going on. So that just turns into, okay, combat's not fun. So, no, I totally get that and I'm probably going to use it. That's a good idea. Yeah, just throwing it out there just in case, uh, just an extra fun rule. Yeah. Uh, you think paralyzation is bad. Petrification <laughs> is even worse. So with this, you're turned into something, an inanimate object. Yeah, you're turned essentially. into stone of some sorts. Basically, yeah. um, if you're petrified, there's a chance that that's the end of your character. Yeah. Yeah, there are, there are definitely, and this, is, and this is why sometimes as a DM, I will actually, because there are some lower level monsters that can cause petrification, like basilisks. Yeah. Basilisks aren't a super high CR, but they can have some extremely dire consequences oh, yeah. fighting them because you can't fix petrification unless you basically allow something into your story that is can or has an antidote of some sort, or you have greater restoration, which yep. is not a low level spell. No, it is. It's a cleric spell that is, um, gosh, I want to say at least four, fourth or fifth level. Not sure off the top of my head, but um, it, it's one of those things where 
And as a cleric, when I play my cleric, I always have it handy because you just never know what's going to happen with that. But I mean, it, so this is where when we've talked about actually, you know, like putting your encounters together and everything where there's something is, uh, you know, just like, you know, mild, you know, kind of a medium encounter versus a deadly encounter. Put a couple basil basilisks in there and it could be a deadly encounter. I mean, it really all turns, uh, comes down to is the player going to look at their, you know, look at the basilisks or not. Um, so, you know, again, it comes down to risk versus reward, but uh, even more so, there's a lot of stuff out there that can actually petrify and it's kind of creepy at how easily you can just die just from a really bad save or two. Just simple as that. Also yep. greater restoration, yep. fifth level spell. Fifth level. Yeah. So that's, that's not, that's not early. We're talking like, you know, like level nine plus yeah. depending on, depending on your class. And Sam, I'm pretty sure, yeah, lesser restoration doesn't cover that at all. Nope. Nope. Lesser restoration doesn't cover petrification. Yeah, yeah, it's something to be aware of and keep in mind as a DM because from a rule standpoint, there are very few things that can fix petrification, especially mm-hmm. at lower levels. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I've seen, you know, different other ways to, to fix it, to, you know, like create some sort of potion or something, you know, out of the basilisk. Um, which is, you know, kind of, or, or, you know, whatever else petrifies them and stuff. That's kind of a, a go-to. I've seen that in a, a few different, you know, things that people have done and everything. Mm-hmm. And Bassless blood potions. Yep. Yeah. Makes sense. Totally, totally makes sense. Um, but I mean, if you're petrified, you better hope that your, uh, your party has a bag of holding. Yeah. Oh, you don't need air. So. Yeah. You're also really heavy, so yep. I mean, if they don't, they're going to carry you around, and hopefully they don't drop you, because once that yeah. happens, probably not going to be coming back together anytime soon. Yeah, or you'll be getting restored without an arm. Yeah. Or something. Yeah, just all sorts of really interesting things. Who knows? It sometimes can make for interesting stories. Yeah. Well, the really uh, fun thing <laughs> is that everything that you're carrying turns completely inanimate, too. So if you've got like, this really awesome sort of badassery, all of a sudden, oh, that, that. It's a sort of stone. You can't even loot it. Yep. <laughs> it's just sad. Yep. It's, it sucks. Uh, next up on our list, poisoned. And this one's really interesting because it can be kind of confusing because there's poison, the condition, and poison damage. Yes. Poison damage is not the same as poison, the condition. Poison damage is just a type of damage. Uh, that certain weapons or certain abilities do. Poison the condition is an actual uh, state where you have you are poisoned and then have disadvantage on all attack rolls and ability checks while you are poisoned for however long it lasts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the the big thing on this is that anything that does poison damage will have an extra little bit that says and roll Constitution save to see if you're poisoned. And that's one of the, the, the biggest things that as a DM, I forget because all of a sudden it's like, oh, poison damage. Okay, cool. And then, you know, I read the entire spell. That, that comes in really handy. But uh, even more so, just, you know, try to remember that just because they took poison damage doesn't mean they're poisoned. That's also one of those things you really need to remember. Exactly. Uh, prone. 
Prone is, is really interesting because it's something that you can be put into, but it's also something that you can choose to do. Mm-hmm. So a prone creature's only movement is to crawl. So basically when you go prone, you get down on the ground, on your belly, whatever. Um, it takes half your movement speed to stand up from being prone. Uh, and while you're prone, you have disadvantage on all your attack rolls. Yes. But the advantage to being prone and if someone's within melee and you're prone, they have an advantage against you. Just makes sense. They're standing above you. You're on the ground. It's going to be much easier to hit you with a sword. But the cool thing about prone and the reason you'd want to put yourself into it is that if the attacker is not within five feet, all their attack rolls have disadvantage against prone targets. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I mean, you know, if you're trying to infiltrate into a castle and there's a whole bunch of guards up on a wall shooting arrows, eh, just lay down. <laughs> that that seems like a weird option, but you know what? It makes it harder to hit you, apparently. Yeah. No, it's good. Uh, you could go prone behind, because there are, there's things, there's uh, like half cover, three quarters cover, mm-hmm. and and, you know, fully unseeable. You might be able to go prone behind a, a half stone wall or something like that. And the DM goes, okay, that's cool. I'll give you three quarters cover for that. Yeah. Because yeah, that's like, there's a five AC bonus or potentially a two AC bonus or whatever. Uh, just, just by going prone. Exactly. I mean, you know, it's Gears of War. That, that's how the game is essentially, you know, played. You're always behind, you know, chest high cover. <laughs> yep, that's true. There are a lot of chest high walls just conveniently located everywhere mm-hmm. in that world. Exactly. Same with Mass Effect. That's, that's how you know you're about to get into combat when everything is chest high. It's like, oh. It's like, oh, crap. Everything, everything suddenly became lower. <laughs> oh, no. This is bad. You could do the exact same thing with your party. All of a sudden, they start finding a bunch of chest high walls. Party knows, oh crap, we're about to get attacked. Yep. And then after like five encounters like that, whole bunch of chest high walls, nothing. Just mess with their minds. Kind of like just rolling randomly behind your your DM screen. Yeah, pretty much. No specific reason. Yeah, you're you know you're trying to heat up your dice. That's what you're doing. (laughs) and remember while you do it to kind of just look at them and smile or look down at your role and just kind of shake your head a little bit and then pretend you're writing as well oh yes that's a a (laughs) sorry that's it's terrible uh stunned stunned is very much uh incapacitated uh the only difference is uh I mean, there, there's not a whole lot of difference really between yeah. between stun and incapacitation. But you you fail your strength and dex saves. Attack rolls against the creature have advantage. The only difference between that and paralyzed is that when you're paralyzed, if the attacker's within five feet of you, it's an auto crit. Mm-hmm. While you're stunned, it's just advantage on all attack rolls, no autocrits. Yeah. Which again, it's one of those really tiny differences. Mm-hmm. In fact, most people are probably going to just be, Oh, you're paralyzed. 
or they're going to mix up stunned and paralyzed and everything. And, and that's one of the really tough bits. Yeah, it is. And honestly, it doesn't matter all that much. And this is, again, this is another, the other status effect that I would probably bring my house rule into play with a larger group. Yeah. That's the, it is a turn ending effect. Exactly. So, uh, aside from the last status effect, uh, Almost all of those, in fact, I would say all of them, have a, you know, some sort of save generally at the end of your turn. And, you know, whether it's like a wisdom save, constitution save, something like that, they all have different things based on, you know, how it's actually, you know, basically affecting you. And one of the biggest things here that uh, you need to remember is that generally it is going to be at the end of your turn. So that would mean that if you can't take an action, a bonus action or movement, the end of your turn would be rolling that save. So roll, see if you get it. Cool, if you get it, that's the entire thing that you do for that round. Then next round, you actually, you know, your players would be able to, to go in and do their next action or, or movement or both or whatever, you know, however they're going to play it out. And sometimes the, you know, like very specifically, it'll say in like a spell description or, or ability description at the beginning of your turn, you can do this. You know, generally it's a, at the beginning of your turn, you take damage from something at the end of your turn, you get to, you know, roll to try to get it to go away. But, you know, pay attention to that. Do your very best to make sure people are doing their, their save rolls because if you're not house ruling it, if they completely skip their turn and don't roll for it, then that's another like wasted bit of time for them. And it's just, it's not that much fun. Yeah, totally agree. Uh, our final condition is the unconscious condition. This is a bad one. You don't really ever want to be unconscious. Uh, you're incapacitated. You fall prone. You automatically fail strength and dex saves everything against you has advantage. And this is, this is kind of interesting too um, because there are, there's a little bit of an inconsistency uh, with how it reads. It says you fall prone and it also says every attack against you has advantage. Mm-hmm. I, I checked and double, double checked and clarified this as well. Be, the prone gives disadvantage for ranged attacks and unconsciousness gives advantage to all attacks. So actually it cancels itself out and you just roll straight attack on range attacks. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, it it does. It does. So, you know, the idea is you're unconscious. You're just laying there. So you're not going to be moving obviously, but Here's the thing. If you are unconscious and your hit points have fallen to zero, which is generally how unconscious happens. Well, this is when you start making a different kind of save on your turn. It's going to be either uh, death saves or gosh, it's always death saves, (laughs) death saves or life saves. Is that (laughs) death saves or yeah, I guess it's, Good death saves or bad death saves? Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. Failed or succeeded death, death saves. There you go. There you yeah. go. That's the real That's terminology. We got uh, there. Yeah, eventually. But uh, so here's the thing. Um, I've seen, it, it doesn't say specifically in the status section, but you know, if you take damage when you're unconscious, it counts as two failed death saves. If you get three, three failed, that's it. Your character is dead. So 
try not to fall in the middle of a group. Remember how we kind of talked about the, the whole paralyzation in the middle of a group? Be careful with that. Um, but even more so, you, you, it's a, a roll at, at the end of your turn every round. And uh, three death saves, you're dead. Three su- successes, you're stabilized. So very big difference between, you know, how some people homebrew it versus what the rules say and everything. You're stable at that point. So, you know, you take more damage, then, you know, you kind of, that, that's two failed death saves right there. So even if you're stable, you get three more, you know, three failed death saves, gone. Here's a couple things. If you roll a natural 20 on a death save, you are awake with one hit point. If someone heals you when you're unconscious, you're awake with whatever hit points they gave you. So at that point on your next turn, you can, you know, stand up or stay prone if you want. You know, it's really up to you. Um, But there is a way out of this without dying. You just have to be either really lucky, have a healer of some sort, or be not as really lucky. (laughs) Not as really lucky. Yeah, pretty much. Is Is that the you're dead? Yeah, there's the okay. So the really lucky is the rolling the twenty. The yeah, yeah. the not so lucky is you know. Hey, I still you know got three. Still stable. Yeah. yeah. The the yeah. difference being that even when you stabilize, you are not conscious. Mm-hmm. You are still in that that prone, unconscious state. Exactly. Um, if you have a cleric in your group hope that they know spare the dying, which if I remember correctly, it's a cantrip. It means that you don't have to make death saves as long as they, you know, cast it on you. It means, Hey, you're stable. Cool. No, it's kind of annoying as a DM sometimes. <laughs> well, cleric just, is just say spare the dying. Oh, okay. Fine. Cleric, whatever. Yeah. But you know, you can always have something. I don't try to, it's not like I'm trying to kill anybody. Or anything. Yeah, exactly. Um, now one other thing that, you know, there is a uh, potential confusion about is if you're knocked unconscious and you start making your death saves and then you're brought back out of unconscious, you get knocked unconscious again, start all over because yep. it's a new section of unconsciousness. Yeah. You just, you know, you really like that nap you had six seconds ago. So you just wanted to jump right back in. <laughs> and yeah, no, you're right. That is it's, they're not cumulative. Yeah, oh, that would be time. so horrible. <laughs> that would that would be that'd be very nerve wracking for sure. Um, like, can you imagine if it was like, okay, well, I had one successful death save, but two failed, you know, five weeks ago, and now I'm unconscious again. And I got one more shot at this. Oh, that'd be the worst. I'm I, I'm sure an older edition of D and D did that to you. Oh, probably. I've heard I've heard I've heard the the original versions are very hardcore. Yes, like most. Why my uh, one of the DMs I play with uh, every once in a while was an old school person. He's like, "Yeah, man, we we roll new characters every few weeks," and and here's me thinking, "I like my character. I spent a lot of time on this thing. I don't want to. I don't want to roll new characters every. Get him to twenty. He wants to be a god. Yeah, I'm I'm having fun. It's just different styles." Yeah, styles. and some people and some people like the it's it's just like hardcore Diablo. Mm-hmm. And people like the the challenge, the risk, and the the adrenaline rush of trying to keep keep your character alive. Exactly. Uh, now, uh, a couple more things just on this topic. 
the biggest thing is, and this is for DMs and players alike, um, do the very best you can to remember the statuses that you put on things. If you're the DM, it's kind of your responsibility to know, you know, what you put on the players, you know, whether it is they're poisoned or something like that, kind of help them along through it, remind them to do their roles and everything like that. Um, one of the things that I really recommend is, you know, some sort of marker on like, if you're using a, a, an actual map and characters and, and, and stuff like that, some sort of marker, whether it's, uh, you know, cool rings that, you know, I, I actually just recently got some from Etsy. Someone made a whole bunch of different colored status rings. They just basically drop on to, you know, a little miniature and stuff so that you'll remember, Oh, they're stunned or poisoned or something like that. Um, little pieces of like different colored tape is one way to do it. Um, just, you know, putting a marker next to the character on, on the board, just anything you can to kind of help remember this. It's very, very, very much needed because it can turn the tide in one direction or another, uh, depending on how you're, you're, you're playing it. Even more so, if you're a player and you put a status effect on, like, say, other players in the group, like, say, a bard, like throwing inspiration at someone, or if you're a cleric and cast Bless, um, remind the players what you did to them so that they know what's going on so that they can use, you know, everything in their toolkit to their advantage. But even more so, the DM has so much going on. If you put some sort of status on one of their monsters, please do your best to try to remind the DM because yes. they're not yes. trying to forget it. They're not doing it on purpose. It's one of those things where, you know, they're juggling the entire encounter, everything that you're fighting all of those abilities also trying to have a, you know, kind of a little bit of a grasp on everybody else's abilities and what they're doing. So if, you know, they forget that this monster is silenced, well, you know, you'd say like, Oh, Hey, they're silenced. They're not going to take offense that you reminded them. They're going to not be at all. Very, very thankful. It's like super helpful. That's right. So yeah, especially yeah, if super, they super, super of, of save as well. So Yep. Totally, totally agree. It is as a player, you want to do as much as you can to kind of take, take the burden off of the DM, especially during encounters and kind of keep track of your own stuff. We talked about this on an earlier episode, knowing your character, like the DM shouldn't have to know your character. You should know your character. It's the same with this. Keep track of the status effects you're doing. Rangers keep track of your hunter's mark. Like it's, it, like Ben said, it's great if you have markers and stuff. If you're doing theater of the mind, it gets a little harder. Make little notes in your notebook as, as a DM. Make notes of the status effects that you have put on players mm-hmm. as well. Definitely. So yeah, all that all that kind of kind of stuff helps. Yeah, um, I, I really can't like stress that part enough. It's, oh yeah, it's very 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 helpful overall. And I mean. Gosh, I don't know how many times, uh, especially since I have that bard in my party, it's like, oh, he's charmed, or oh, I'm going to do this, or anything. Like, bards are notorious for just, you know, throwing out as many status, status effects as possible, whether it's, you know, buffing or debuffing or anything, and it's, it's a lot of fun. Like, I really, really enjoy it. So Yeah, bards are the best. Exactly. I do. I do love my bard. I, I'm quite jealous of your bard sometimes. I will. Just that <laughs> um, so one thing I wanted to talk about um, before we kind of shift into our community, um, community content is 
something I mentioned earlier, which is skill checks mm-hmm. and skill challenges. And this is something that is kind of from earlier editions. It doesn't really quite exist in the rules as written from a, a 5e perspective, but I find that they can be really interesting uh, for both DMs and players. So basically what a, you, we've all heard of what a skill check is. That's yeah. me saying, hey Ben, uh, you want to find out if you know anything about this particular creature. Roll a nature check, right? Okay. Whereas a skill challenge is a set of those checks all in a row to perform some sort of larger task or as a, an escape sequence mm-hmm. from a crumbling castle or a chase through a forest or something like that where you're, you're being chased by this large mob of enemies. And so what I like to do, and th- there's a couple of different variations of, of skill challenges out there, is I like to say, okay, you, uh, we, there's this task. Let's, let's say this is, um, we just beat the, the big bad guy in the keep as the last ditch effort of uh, before he dies, he curses your name and sets off the spell that causes the keep to start to crumble to the ground. You only have a limited amount of time and a limited ability to get out of this keep before it crumbles and you're either trapped or crushed or something like that. And so then you go into skill challenge and the skill challenge is you basically escaping out of the thing. So I may give a description of what's going on uh, of an encounter that comes up and each player can then contribute some skill they are proficient in to try and overcome the challenge. And you can't use the same skill twice in the same encounter challenge. So it actually challenges the players to think of creative ways to use uh, an arcana skill or an athletics check or, or an acrobatics check. And then the whole thing is, all right, you need to get uh, five successes before you get three failures yeah, or else you will fail the skill challenge completely. If you are able to get five successes before you get three failures, then you win the skill challenge. You escape uh, barely in the nick of time uh, without getting crushed as the keep crumbles behind you in the distance the last echoes of your enemy piercing the night as you smile in triumph uh so there's all sorts of really really cool stuff you can do with skill challenges and like i said it can really uh challenge the players to think of creative ways to use your skills Mm -hmm. so as a as a player's running out i say there's this giant giant rock that's that's in the hallway what do you do one of the 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 barbarian might say okay i'm proficient in athletics i would like to try and move that rock out of the way okay that's pretty good uh you're you're proficient in it and that makes a whole lot of sense you set a difficulty for it say 15 and then the the barbarian has to hit a 15 to succeed or potentially the hunter will say, uh, I'd like to use survival on that. I'd like to try and find uh, an alternate path 
through past this, this rock and you say, okay, that's, that's cool. Um, that's a, that's a DC like 16 or something like that. The pass or fail. Another person might say, uh, I want to use my arcana. And you're just like, how are you going to use your arcana to get around this rock? And then if they come up with something reasonably plausible, you can, okay, that's, I, I, I get where you're coming from, but that's going to be a tough one to try and yeah. try and nail that. So there's all sorts of really fun, different things you can do with these skill challenges that can really mix things up for players uh, and make, hopefully make things more fun for them as well. And one of the neat things about doing something like that too, is the fact that it really helps uh, get everybody involved in it. Uh, you know, the idea of there's a big challenge and, oh, it's just, you know, the, the same person, you know, the barbarian just rolling something out of the way or being able to, um, you know, just kind of push something aside or throw people over a wall or, you know, something like that. It's just like, okay, they're, they're constantly doing this. Let's let everybody else do it. Like when you're coming up with that, I'm like, oh, well, if I was proficient in nature, would I be able to know like what kind of rock it is? Could I shatter it in some way? You know, it, it's like there's, there's surprisingly a lot of different things that you can use to, to uh, just get past that. I mean, investigation, you can try and figure out, you know, is there uh, I don't know, some sort of, of uh, you know, lever close by, like, you know, a, 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 a big log I can shove under there to kind of, you know, lift it up out of the way or something. I mean, yeah, it, just little fun things like that are, are great. And I, I, I love skill challenges. Yeah. I appreciate having everybody try to contribute as much as possible because, you know, as we've talked before, this is a game all about, you know, coming together, building something together and just having a lot of fun and finding ways to keep everybody active is, you know, it's a challenge sometimes, but when everything just falls together, everybody remembers those instances and those times where it's like, Oh, I did this and you did that. And it was amazing. And this happened. And yeah, definitely, definitely agree. Totally. Um, one of the other things you can use skill challenges for is uh, crafting. And there's, there's, very, there's very light rules on crafting stuff inside the actual like Dungeon Master's Guide and whatnot. So uh, one of the things I like to do, so say my rogue is like, I want to make a poison. Then you can say, so, okay, cool. You, you have the, you have uh, X ingredients. And so now let's do uh, a skill challenge. Let's do a sleight of hand or a dexterity check to see how well you're handling this. And depending on the outcome of that, let's do a medicine check to, to see if you, you've actually created that. Now do a nature check and see if, uh, if what you created is what you were hoping for. And so you can do stuff like that as an escalating series of challenges in uh, creation of things, which uh, my players usually love that kind of stuff because it's one of those where the better you do, the, the easier it is to do the subsequent ones. But then the, the, the worse you do, the harder it is to do the subsequent ones. And sometimes because of that, the results can be completely different. Uh, I had uh, my rogue tried to make a smoke bomb and he failed the skill challenge and he made it as far as he knew. But then when he used it, it didn't actually 
perform like he thought it was going to. And so there's a lot of fun things you can do interplay uh, with things like that. Exactly. And when you're doing something like that, you're actually just completely adding right into more character development of the, the player themselves. You know, it's like they have an actual, you know, history in building some of this stuff. So there you go. You're just giving them even more to play around with and everything, which is something that I really enjoy. Yeah. Totally agree. All right. Woo. That was, uh, that was an information heavy episode. A little bit, a little bit. Yep. yep. Thanks. Thanks for sticking with us. There's, there's a lot of, a lot of technical things, especially once you get into conditions, but as a DM and as a player, it's really helpful to know that because it can really streamline your games and streamline your combat encounters when you're not having to go look things up. Exactly. Which is, which is super helpful. Um, so we have two different things, uh, for our community content shout out this week, one from each of us actually. And they, uh, both kind of pertain to uh, a little of what we talked about. So Ben, why don't you talk about yours first? Oh man. So, uh, you know, I did mention that I just got some, some more status rings and I mean, these things are beautiful. They're, they're different colored uh, based on the kind of the, the status, like fairy fire is a nice pink color. Petrification is a gray color. And um, I, I think I mentioned it before when I DM uh we play over discord, but I still have a camera set up with like the map and figures and everything like this. And these status rings are absolutely amazing and I cannot wait to use them. Um, I got them from uh, Viridian gaming supplies actually on Etsy. Um, you know, super plug. We're not sponsored anything like that, but they, they just came in the mail today and I am so happy with them. Um, but uh, you can check them out uh, facebook.me slash uh, Viridian Gaming Supplies or find them on Etsy, which I do not know what the Etsy store is called off the top of my head, but I'm guessing it has something to do with Viridian. Yeah, and they are awesome. Those types of things are really, really cool. And it's awesome that people have, uh, have those for sale. And just provide those type of things because they're, they're not official or anything, but they're super helpful, especially if you're running miniature combat. And mm-hmm. even if you're not, uh, even when you run Theater of the Mind, you can use tokens like that and just hand them or put them in front of a person to help them help signify and help them remember, hey, I'm, <laughs> I'm poisoned. I'm paralyzed. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm using concentration, which is kind of a status that we didn't go over, but that's more tied to spells, which we'll talk about spells uh, a bit next episode exactly. as well. And uh, I mean, a lot of the ones that I have here, I mean, they're all over the place. We've got prone, silenced, raging, uh, hunter's mark, blessed. Um, gosh, like I said, I got so many here concentrating, you know, you yep. just got a visibility. Right. Yep. Invisibility is great. Grappled, hasted, um, shrunk or reduced. Um, I forget what it is for basically grown super big or embiggened. Enlarge. Enlarge. Yeah. It, yep, yep. Why would, you know, why would I go with the easy way? No. Uh, I, and then also <laughs> just a generic one, magical effect. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah, they're great. Uh, I'll, I'll throw a link to the Etsy shop, uh, up when we post the episode and everything, uh, which I've started actually doing, so make sure to check out that website, Dean Discussions. Yeah. 
What a great plug, Ben. And for those of you who have, and, and I, I talked about this a little bit at the beginning, 3D printers, these are actually available to 3D print yourself, mm-hmm. which is really cool. Um, we'll have a link in the notes as well to Thingiverse, which you can, it, as a 3D printer, Thingiverse, big thumbs up. There's all sorts of props and models and everything on there. Uh, but there is an actual huge bulk of status effect little um, circle status effect things that you can put on miniatures or put in front of people or whatever that you can just download for free and 3D print. Mm-hmm. They're awesome. So we'll have, we'll have links to that as well. Exactly. Oh, man. So, Whew. yeah, lots of stuff going on. Lots of stuff Just going on. Statuses. I got to ask, because I'm super excited, what's the status of your game? Oh, my gosh. Uh, so, the, the only game I've, I've really been able to get in since our last record was our Plus 5 to Hit podcast one. And we just started our uh, season two, which is uh, a, a different kind of a, a little bit of a different adventuring party. We've got some people stepping away for a short time. They'll be back. They'll be back later. We're in a desert. <laughs> and so we're, we're just starting to, to get into some intrigue and uh, kind of a, an investigation uh, whodunit a little bit type thing. So it's, it's been fun. I'm looking forward to seeing, seeing where it goes. Exactly. I've got, I've got a game that I'm playing in on Sunday. Ooh. Uh, the game with my, my custom class. So that I love, I love, I love that group and it's an in-person group, which if you can, if you have the opportunity to play in person, there is really nothing like it. Like I love that the internet has enabled D and D online, but there's there's really nothing like playing with all the people at the same table. So we just uh, we just cleared out a keep, and this in this mad mad mage who had transformed himself into this one eyed weird ape thing. Oh, uh, so he's dead, <laughs> and he had stolen this artifact that he was trying to figure out how to open. We figured out how to open it, and there was a uh, gin inside. Oh, geez. And that's where the session ended. Oh. So no idea what's going to happen. And our crazy druid person who's super straightforward, not the, the sharpest tool in the shed was the one that opened it. So <laughs> who knows oh, really what's going to happen so, next week. I might come back and be like, well, the campaign ended because <laughs> because wished the wrong wish <laughs> well here's the thing um so i don't know how deep diving you've gone into gins but uh they don't always give wishes which is the really cool thing i mean it's true there's a chance that you guys a uh, campaign could end because he fought you i mean who knows but if a wish comes of it yeah, it, it all comes down to, you know, how exacting is your DM going to be about, you know, how something's phrased and everything because that's the thing about wishes is it, it can either be a complete and total, um, you know, like like two sides of every coin. Like, did you see the the, the new live action Aladdin? 
you know, the, the, the details are in the phrasing. Everything is, you know, mm-hmm. it's all how you say it and how it can be interpreted. So yep. good luck to your party. I hope you make it through okay. I'm very interested to see where that's going to go. But if it goes well, we're going to go break a dude out of jail so that he can be our new keep steward. So oh, that nice. should be fun. Yeah, so, that's a really good like reward. A, like a heist, yeah. Like, yeah. We're going to reward ourselves. Yeah, you break him out of, jail out of jail with the reward of servitude. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I can't imagine why he would say no. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what about you? Um, well, uh, I've been really super busy with work. So unfortunately, I haven't been able to play any of the other gaming sessions. But again, plus five to hit. That desert is going to be interesting. Um, all I got to say is, is that playing someone who has been very sheltered and innocent is a lot of fun, especially when it comes to other characters' fears. <laughs> all I'm going to say. Uh, no. Check plus five to hit. <laughs> Plug. Man, I've just been doing that all day. Uh, speaking okay. of plugging, though, I got to say, if you like to talk to us or at least want to talk to us or, or give us uh, any sort of feedback, suggestions, or just want to tell us about some of your crazy campaign stories, uh, you can always email us or tweet us. In fact, um, at Spaz Wesson on Twitter tweeted us just 10 minutes ago uh, talking about our last episode, which was about uh, magical items. Uh, when it comes to magic items, I ask my players, give me three uncommon and three common magic items you think your character would want. Uh, then he placed them in the world for his players to find uh, and either buy, loot, or acquire. So, oh, That's a really interesting way to do it. And it's kind of, again, I'm all about it. Player agency. Mm-hmm. So as a player, it's just like, this is a really cool item. And now I know it exists somewhere in this world. Exactly. And there's, there's a hook kind of all in a, of itself. Exactly. So, like I said, if you do want to email us, uh, you can send those emails to dndiscussions at gmail.com. Uh, of course, like I said, our Twitter is at dndiscussions on Twitter. And uh, big question for you, Ryan. If people are trying to find you, where might they find you? You can find me on Twitter at tbkzord. Just uh, send a tweet. Love to talk to you about uh, anything tabletop, gaming, D&D related. All right. Uh, if you're looking for me, I am at Ben Bumhofer. And of course, if you liked this episode, it is the very first one that you've heard. You can check out every other episode that we have ever done on iTunes, Google, and of course, on dndiscussions.com. Awesome. Thank you, Ben. Well, uh, it's been a good one. Uh, it's really interesting ta- getting into the nitty gritty. We're going to have some spell discussion I'm next, uh, next episode, which is going to be super fun. We're going to talk about uh, our, our favorite cantrips. We're going to talk about how spell slots work and the, the different magical things, up-leveling, all that fun stuff. It'll be really interesting. And I did, I did talk about this a little bit on Twitter, dragon stories. Dragon stories are always the best. So if you have a cool dragon story, tweet at us or email us because we'd love to hear. It. Definitely. And if you're really interested to find out how you can use Fireball correctly in any situation, make sure to check out next episode of DN Discussions. Until then, we will see you guys later. Be good to each other and goodbye.